Welcome to Birkbeck Voices. I'm Jess Simons, and today I'm speaking with Ron Balzan, who is in the third year of his PhD in psychology at Birkbeck's Department of Psychological Sciences. Now, Ron's research looks at the biggest problem in the world. If you've ever struggled to solve a problem, and frankly, who doesn't from time to time, Ron suggests that the odds are you haven't represented or modelled the problem correctly. He'll be delivering his talk on the biggest problem in the world on the 20th of February at City and Islington College as part of Birkbeck's Big Ideas series. A link to book your free place is in the description of this podcast. And if you're interested in learning more or asking questions, please do come along. In the meantime, Ron joins us now for a bit of a preview. Welcome, Ron. Hi, Jeff. Now, let's start with a bit of your background. Could you bring us up to date on how you came to study psychology at Birkbeck? Sure. Well... Since people listening to this can't see me, uh, I'm a mature student, and I've worked for over 20 years in a variety of roles, um, namely in finance, strategy, and business development, um, before returning to school to study psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, As an undergraduate, I actually studied finance and economics, and I got an MBA in finance and corporate accounting in 1990, so now you have a clue as to my age. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, While I was based in New York for most of those 20 plus years. Um, Work regularly took me to Asia, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, North America, South America, Russia, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, and many places. Um, Many places I wouldn't have gone to if I hadn't had the the jobs that I've had. Um, So my interest in travel, though, has been lifelong. So personally, I've traveled extensively, too. And uh, basically, as soon as I had the the funds, I hit the road. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, You know, and then... As to how I came to study psychology at Burbeck, um, you know, I've, I've always been a, a student, an informal student of human behavior. Um, it's always fascinated me. So on my travels and um, in those jobs and in life in general, I've gotten to know a lot of different types of people. We all do. Um, and it's just a question of how much you pay attention to the differences. And while they are different, uh, I noticed that in their struggle to solve solvable problems, they're also the same. And the way I sort of look at it is to, to grow is to live. And by definition, we only grow when we solve a problem. So I became curious as to why so many solvable problems go unsolved, um, including my own. And, and perhaps that's where it, most things start uh, with yourself. You know, because I, I had a hard time believing that people were consciously choosing to not grow or to not live. In fact, most people obviously want to do the opposite of that Mm. Um, and to live and grow as much as they possibly can. But rather than rely on anecdotes, which is how most of the world operates, and it's a very dangerous thing to do, and people who come to my talk will get a better feel for why that's so, um, I decided to return to school um, to search for answers to this question as to why so many solvable problems go unsolved. Uh, I received a master's in education degree in psychology from Cambridge in 2015, and now, as you said, I'm here uh, getting my PhD at Burbank. And I'm going to ask the obvious question here. Sure. When you talk about a problem, let's define it. What is a, a solvable problem? Okay. So the analogy I like to give people is to think of a problem as a story. Um, every problem, like a story, should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning is the problem itself. It's a problematic situation. Something is wrong, and wrong enough that you actually want to do something about it. A lot of people complain, and they'll say, that's a problem. But if they don't want to do anything about it, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, 
But for instance, you could be unhappy in your work or in a relationship. Um, the end is your goal. So if you're unhappy in your work, your goal could be to switch jobs. It's where you'd rather be at least, or at least where you think you'd rather be. Mm. Um, it's not enough to just say, for instance, you like to switch jobs. You kind of have to know the source of your unhappiness in your current job, because otherwise if you switch jobs just for the sake of switching jobs without knowing why it is you want to do that, odds are you'll end up none happier. Mm. Um, so in the middle between that beginning and that end is, is the solution. It's the way or ways, because there can be more than one way to solve a problem. Um, it's, it's the way or ways to go from where you are to where you'd rather be. Okay, so when you're talking about um, modeling problems, that's mm -hmm. what we've got there, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Yes. So can you explain the idea of um, you know, representing your problem as a way to solve it? So, okay, so a representation, it's a model that summarizes our understanding or your understanding of the problem that it is you want to solve. So it's that story, what you believe to be the beginning, the middle, and the end. And it's only once that you've modeled that you, that, that story or that problem that you can begin the process of solving it. And it's only when that model is accurate or correct that you can solve it. So when you misrepresent a problem, uh, you know, you, you've got your beginning, your middle, or end, but at least one of those things is incorrect. Um, and when that's so, we'll end up spending our effort and our money and our time trying to solve a problem that's different from the one we think we're, to we're solving. Uh, so in other words, we're, we, we end up trying to solve the wrong problem and our original problem continues. And what's been a fascinating sort of revelation is that when we are in the process of solving that problem, which is the wrong problem, we don't know we're solving the wrong problem and we do that very frequently. Mm. So as an example, um, one that I, I look to frequently because it's a very common one is a lot of people are concerned about their, their weight and their health and their fitness. For instance, I could be overweight, and for those of you listening, I'm not, but I could be. <laughs> um, and I could say, okay, I need to eat less. But if the cause of my weight problem actually has to do more with my level of fitness or perhaps something that's genetic, my eating less isn't going to solve my problem. So I've misrepresented the beginning, mm. the problem itself. I've attributed it to a sort of a food, consumpt food consumption problem when it's actually something else. So I could diet and f for years on end, but I will constantly struggle to lose weight because I've never addressed the source of the problem. Absolutely understand. Okay, so you seem to um, have explored this concept quite thoroughly. Has it been explored much in the past? Surprisingly, no, and that's actually why I'm doing my PhD. Um, I went to Cambridge um, to look at this general problem and why do so many sort of solvable problems go unsolved. And what I came away with was more questions than when I started my master's. Um, I had looked at, at emotion. In, in my master's and how emotion impacts how we solve a problem. Um, and namely, I looked at self-awareness and empathy. Um, self-awareness, if you have a problem that is strictly yours, meaning it and its solution will involve nobody else, 
which is quite rare, but if you have that problem, the more self-aware you are, the better you will be at representing that problem because you'll come to it with greater knowledge of yourself. If you have a problem that involves or touches other people, the greater your sense of empathy and how you are able to put yourself in the shoes of others who would be impacted by what it is you are trying to solve, that problem, the more successful you will be at representing and therefore solving that problem. But sort of my big aha at Cambridge was emotion is sort of a secondary issue and that we are misrepresenting our problems to begin with more than we know. And that is why unwittingly um, so many solvable problems are going unsolved. Um, So while a lot has been written about problem solving, for instance, with regard to diet. You can find book after book after book about solving that problem or, or many problems. Um, but, but virtually nothing, and certainly not for the public, um, so to speak, has been written about problem representation. Um, and it's surprising because representation is critical to solution. And the talk is actually been, uh, that I'm going to give has actually been sort of named the biggest problem in the world because we can look you can name any problem it can be diet it can be climate change it can be crime uh, it can be unhappiness in relationships and those are legitimate problems but unless those problems are represented correctly or modeled correctly you will end up spending as I said all of your time and your effort and your money trying to solve a problem that's not the problem you're intending to solve. Mm. And therefore, the fundamental problem is one of problem representation. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, so, so a diet book, for instance, to go back to our other example, if a book like that, a problem-solving book, misrepresents the problem it professes to solve, that problem, as I said, will go unsolved. And many, many do. And you think about all of the books and all of the newspaper articles and all of the airtime, for instance, that's been dedicated to fitness and weight loss. And, and you look at the industries behind those things um, and how much they have grown and, and the billion pound businesses that they've become. Um, it's, it, it's disappointing then to see that in the developed world that should sort of be at the forefront of solving this problem, it's where obesity rates are the highest they have ever been. So it points to a problem of misrepresentation. And as you mentioned, you've traveled extensively right around the world. You've met many people along your way. Um, And, you know, many people of different backgrounds and generations and cultures. Do you ever notice any trends in the problems that you come across? Um, Well, while on a personal level, you know, it's common for people to struggle with with work issues and health issues and relationship problems. Um, I wouldn't call them trends because they're, they're simply the problems of living. Um, and, you know, living's not trendy, it's just what we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other problems are certainly more topical and of this time, such as, as I've mentioned, climate change or trustworthiness in politicians and business people and others, mm. you know, that sort of thing. Sure. And, and um, along your way, have you unearthed any particularly surprising facts or findings, um, perhaps in your PhD studies? Yeah. I, I mean, sort of my big aha at Cambridge, as I said, was this notion of problem representation and how that's fundamental to solving any problem. 
and yet, surprisingly, that has been virtually overlooked uh, by the world in academia and outside of academia. In my PhD studies, my sort of big aha has had to do with truth. Truth is a, is a very hot topic, so to speak, and many people seem to think it doesn't matter anymore. Um, you know, it's not uncommon uh, to see world leaders, business leaders, celebrities, people in general lie without compunction. Mm -hmm. And uh, not that long ago, I think it was last year, it might have been the year before, Time magazine asked on its cover, is truth dead? Um, and yet, what my work shows is that truth does matter, and it always has mattered, and it always will matter, because, as I said, when it comes to representing a problem, in order to solve that problem, your representation has to be truthful or accurate or correct. You cannot solve a problem without truth, and um, I'll be talking about that more on the 20th of February. And I'm looking forward to hearing about it. As I mentioned, I've popped a link to that event in the description of this podcast, and you can book your free place just by clicking through. Ron, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jess. It's been a pleasure.